When you're deep in a dark dungeon and the cleric's down and dying And you've taken all the potions you had left And you feel like you are doomed because the demon you set loose is coming after you And you can smell its breath Don't ever give up Hello, welcome to the Real Point Exchange. I'm your host, Adam, and joining me today, as always, are my co-hosts, Noah and Chris. Man. Like, I probably won't even have to edit that down too much here. I usually kind of, you know, make it seem more natural, but we're getting there. Got okay, it I'll, I'll fuck it up next time. <laughs> God. It was a compliment, sir. It was a compliment. So, you know, looking at it, though, we're going on to our – we're almost going to jump into our eighth month of doing this. So this would be our seventh month of this, and we're back at the tabletop mine, like, what kind of goodies do we have for them today, guys, from the tabletop salt mines? I have said some very rude things in the last couple of days. Oh. <laughs> oh, well, let's go ahead and lay out the topic before. <laughs> and yes, you fucking did. Was... <laughs> so we're, we're here and we're talking about table control, both uh, offline and online. And I'm taking control of this table right now to make sure more rude things aren't being said. <laughs> so, Adam, why don't you, you, you give us a breakdown? Well, topic-wise, what we're going to focus on, first and foremost, would be the group management, uh, well, which is control. So I'm almost being redundant, but just, just hear me out on this. Hear me out on this. In a real-life game, there's a lot of little side conversations that go on, and that happens in the digital realm as well. But it's much more of a roadblock. So what we're going to discuss here is a few concerns, possible suggestions to how one may kind of keep the thumb on the control of the table and assert themselves. And to use an old teacher adage to kind of start us off on this, because that's what I do. But I believe in the beginning of a role-playing game that you need to at least set some pretty firm boundaries in the beginning. Much like in a classroom, they always tell you that uh, you can always be nice later, but you can never be stricter or harder later. Now, I'm not trying to set up the game master as kind of an adversarial opponent of the players or anything like that, but you have definitely in the beginning, you have some exposition to be giving and some framing that needs to be going on. And we're kind of on a timetable here. So a good GM will guide in a sense, if like, if the plot is kind of meandering so much, we'll kind of guide everything to the correct path that this adventure is going to take. And then, you know, once you've set up a parameter and kind of allowed a unofficial norm to be set for the game then you can kind of release the reins a little bit and allow your players to fill out the rows more which you know in its essence is figure out who their character is you know like we never know who we're playing in the beginning until we actually start reacting i've started a bunch of campaigns in my time and each had their own tone and idea to them and i've found after a few years of practice is that the first session should always be about setting the tone. Like for our Unknown Armies game, I specifically started the game with, what stupid thing have you done that you regret? And the entire first session was about playing up that regret and fighting it and trying to just overcome these weird, petty boundaries. Our, our other sessions have been more meandering and thoughtful, but like when it, got, when it comes down to moments of stress and combat it's always about dealing with these sort of weird petty things if, if you get what i mean yeah I, I agree with you entirely yeah i really should have made that character's biggest regret just buying a nintendo power glove by the way because that's looking back that <laughs> it would have been safer well I... <laughs> would have been a lot safer or any peripheral it connects to a video game console the connect Two hundred hours, yeah, that got old real quick. <laughs> God, I just really hate. I mean, I'm not even really sure what's going on right now. <laughs> Skyward Sword, God, yeah, it's a good idea in concept, but in practice. <laughs> now, notice we've like totally lost control here, but I 
to get it back on the track, though, I did want to add that yeah. I did regret buying a Nintendo Power Glove in the 80s. But, hey, that's, uh, God, what the fuck was the Wonder Years kid's name? Fred Savage. That Fred Savage in the Wizard yes. movie, that really, it looked badass. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that autistic kid sure was magic. Uh, he really, really was. Anyway, yeah, so, and once you establish the perimeters, I guess, to kind of go back to what I was saying, like, as players, we were able to take a more active role. Yeah, and, and that even allows you to uh, mess around with the tone of the game more so, so long as you know that everything should bounce back, bounce back to a certain level, as yeah. it were. I'm I'm real excited for our upcoming No Soul Left Behind campaign. Oh, yeah. Let's see what, what the tone of that is going to be. Because there's some some really nice people and then some utter monsters. Not looking at any particular icons on my computer right now. What? Uh, what? What? What are you talking about? I I don't know. What are you talking about? I definitely have not already thought of ways to weaponize heroin. <laughs> Isn't that just called heroin? <laughs> Oh no no Noah! The thing is, you see, I've realized figures. I've figured out ways to use it against other players. Oh, great! You this is this is supposed to be comedy, comedy along with the the you know damnation. So I think it's funny. Well, well, I hope yeah. that the RPX crew has a good time playing their game. I'm just going to Eeyore the fuck over in this corner. Aww. He wants to play. That's all good, dude. little side note announcement. Noah, do you care to tell... So, our our good friends over at the Tactical Difficulties Gaming Podcast have have asked me to to run uh, Better Angels for them, so I'm going to be running uh, No Soul Left Behind for... Uh, indeterminate amount of their cast members and uh, our very own Chris. So because I begged my way into that game. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You really did. Shamelessly, Uh, I would like to add. Oh, so shameless. Uh, So I'm going to be running that. Hopefully I think we finally got a, a time slot to do character creation next week and do our first session at the end of that week. We've covered already kind of to jump back on this choo choo train here. Yes. We've already, we've already kind of established the need of it. And I think really what I want to discuss here, and I'm going to eventually record uh, a session of this once we post all of the Fear Itself games, which were many more than I intended. <laughs> it's a, it's a six part one shot. <laughs> yep. Six or seven. <laughs> six. But I'm throwing one out. <laughs> okay. That's uh, probably good. Yeah, it was, we were not feeling it that night, but, um, here's the deal. As far as pacing and controlling, like I said, once you establish everything, it's great. But I find guys with, you know, being me, me being a up and coming GM, I find that the framework isn't necessarily the problem. It's just keeping everything together while it goes. So one of my biggest pet peeves that I've noticed as a gamer and definitely noticed as a GM is when like an entire scene gets bogged the fuck down by, you know, let's use the Call of Cthulhu Delta Greenish kind of example of you walk in a room and you're like, well, I, I'm going to roll alertness. I roll alertness. I roll alertness. I roll alertness. I roll spot hidden. Like, right. Nothing seems to just take me out of this magical world building moment more than a, a spamming of, of shit. <laughs> yeah. When, when, you know, you're the thief in the D&D group, so you spend 15 minutes rolling nonstop, like, check traps, spot, you know, spot trap yeah. rolls and all this stuff. But on the on the reverse side of it, also, and I was uh, commented, I received a comment on this uh, from Chris when I ran the game. I had a character who was, like, looking really hard for something, and he was wanting to spend points, and I basically said, man, there's nothing there. Which was, at my part, like pulling the curtain back and you see the man, you know, the great Oz is behind the curtains and all that. One of those moments. But, and I don't think that's the right approach for me either. So, is there any, can you guys give me any kind of helpful suggestion here? How do I manage 
this this situation where people are throwing out stuff that doesn't really pertain to anything, so to speak. These uh, spot hidden rows in every room you walk into. The way I would, I would do it. Oh, go ahead, Noah. Um, I was just going to say uh, you could do like like it is in, in red markets and have a, a one and done kind of situation. Uh, or you could do the sort of gumshoe new Delta Green thing where if if it's important to the scene, you just automatically get it. And if you want more information, you can do like you can do a spend or you can do a roll or something along those lines, but you get the core information that you need. That's I guess that's definitely the wonder of using a system that's not F twenty. Of course you could do the uh I mean and even in F twenty, like there's there's no I don't see any excuse to not say you walk into this room, you find like this important clue. I mean if you're doing like a dungeon crawl and you're looking for traps or something like that, that's sort of like a a one and done type thing. Yeah. Another thing I'll do when I have a lot of people who want to spend make their notice checks or spend awareness or whatever is that I will break down the clue into much smaller parts so that once it all get comes together, they can kind of parse it. So it's, it's more of a puzzle than anything else. So it, it makes them feel like they're all connected to it, but they're still getting the same amount of information. Would I be correct in assuming this gentleman that sometimes instances where somebody we say it's not happening with great frequency, but you're trying to move a scene along and then all of a sudden you get like a row like I'm gonna row alertness and you really don't have anything there. Would it be fair to say that this type of instance is almost maybe a nice hint to the GM that hey, they're expecting something and I'm not delivering? So could this be something that I should also pay attention to as I design out my scenes that I'm, I at least try to have something there and also be mindful that I may need to start improvising and up in my game a tad bit to address these uh, player expectations. Is there so, like a dousing rod of sorts? So uh, I know I've had instances in like some – Call of Cthulhu type games where a player has said like I'm looking for this particular thing and that's not necessarily in the scenario but I could see it being appropriate to to the location so I just kind of decide on like just off the top of my head like if they're looking for this particular thing if they make the role sure they can find whatever it is or they can find something that's kind of close so like if they're looking for a weapon they might not find like you know a shotgun or something like that but they could find like a pistol or a knife or something along those lines um if they're looking for like oh was this guy like a drug addict or, or something along those lines they could possibly find like some paraphernalia or something like that it, it just kind of depends on that's sort of a an on-the-fly thing and i think that kind of comes with experience and kind of, if your players present you with like a, a prompt, oh, I'm looking for this thing, or does he have like anything like this? Then kind of working with that and seeing if that's both appropriate for like that location, the scenario, the the NPC or whatever that they're investigating. It can also imply an ambiguity to the scene as written. For example, if you're in a social scene where you're dealing with Lord. Thofferneffer's daughter and her, uh, I, I don't know, quinceanera, and someone decides, oh, I want to, uh, I want to make a weapons check to see if there is a, a good fencing saber nearby. It, it implies that at least a player is worried about combat or something like that when you're trip, when you're obviously trying to make a social scene. <laughs> so you need to think about like the context of the scene itself. So is it kind of like if you're asking for if you could buy Dragon's Breath rounds in uh, Montana, for example? Yes, right. yeah. that's exactly it. 
<laughs> awesome. That's kind of an allusion to a game we will eventually be posting there that Noah's running for us. For uh, I'm not even going to try to pronounce it, Noah. I say Visid. Yeah, it, it's Visid. Does does the Brit say Visid? Uh, Patrick said Viscid, but he's when wrong. I listen, yeah. I mean, that could just be a, a, a British way of saying things, yeah. but no, 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 I, no. He's straight up wrong. <laughs> <laughs> this is like this is coming from somebody who loves linguistics. He's wrong. <laughs> How about this, guys? You mentioned Gumshoe beforehand, and. When the table's running wild and all that, there's many reasons for it. To, it could be happening. Definitely, if there's a scene that's going to be high stress and so forth, like you know, you're trying to sneak into the uh, National Guard armory or whatnot, and you know, everybody's wanting to contribute. Everybody's trying desperately, grasping at straws, you know, trying to figure the situation out. But then all of a sudden. You know, you're swamped with actions and you're swamped with trying to come up with repercussions and so forth for each action. I really like, and we mentioned Gumshoe. I, we've, I really like how Gumshoe does these little like piggybacking rows, I will call them. They have a different term for it, but you know, say for example, Noah's character is the one that has really high like pull and stealth and like it's going to be a group sneak and while he's making the roll, other players can do like more minor things to jump onto it to, you know, sort of modify that roll. So everybody, you know, gets to whatever they're going at, but you don't have, uh, I sneak, I sneak, I sneak, I sneak. Instead, you can, like with Gumshoe, it's like he spins and rolls and you can spend a point. Or maybe two points, maybe it's a two to one ratio, I can't recall off the top of my head, but uh, to modify that other player's role. And, I mean, I don't think we've done that yet in our Knights Black Agents game. Uh, I don't know if you've done, I believe the, the term they use is tag team tag roles. Team. But uh, I don't think you've done that yet. That is something uh, you might be doing when we get to the next part of that scenario, when we get back to it. Just because there's three of you and you're probably going to need that. Oh, um, God, yeah. But it's it's a great way the gumshoe system like condenses everything and minimizes it down. And you get more of a focus to it as opposed to just wildly flailing about, which you could definitely do in a gumshoe game. But, you know, the tools are there to allow everyone to contribute. And I think at the end of every session... That's going to be a complaint of ever, of a character if they're going to have one is, you know, I didn't get to play enough or I really didn't feel like I contributed. And, you know, no matter how weak or strong your character is, if you can, you know, justify it and come up with the points, you know, you're, you know, contributing. And sometimes that's the difference. Your contributions is a difference between a failure and a success for the whole party. And that gives player investment. Mm-hmm. And I think um, for for certain situations uh, outside of Gumshoe, there are definitely systems that use like a a group role mechanic, where like the person who's either like the best or the worst at like a particular thing, like stealthing, comes into mind a lot, just because you usually have like a guy who's really good at sneaking, and then everybody else will be kind of crappy to okay at it. So yeah, you always have like, the. You always have the thief and the paladin. Yeah. Like, you have, yeah, the guy who runs around and, like, you know, noise dampening everything, and the guy who's covered in pots and pans and just screams the entire time. So, doing, like, a, a group role where you have, like, one person, like, expert saying, like, okay, I'm really good at this. I'm going to do this scout role, and that's going to allow everybody else to kind of follow me stealthily. Or the vice versa. Yeah. Have the the guy who's really bad at everything, or the guy who's bad at like the the current situation, not bad at everything. Hopefully, you're not a character that's just bad at everything. But uh, having yeah. like you know the pots and pans paladin make the stealth roll because he's pots and pans, and he's going to be making a lot of noise no matter how sneaky everybody else is. This is actually a oh, good good thing to do with the pacing issue. If you want your game to go a little slower, you want your worst character to make the role. If you want it to go faster, you want your best character to make the role. 
Yeah, definitely. I can I can definitely see that. It also so, helps with like tension yeah. in a scenario where yeah. like, oh crap, we like we absolutely cannot get caught here. Oh great, why did we bring you know Sir T Fowl the the friggin' pots and pans paladin? <laughs> I like the alliteration there. I, I think that's going to be my Dungeon World character, the, the Pots and Pans Paladin. <laughs> it seems like it'll be like a Full Metal Alchemist kind of game. Yeah, no, like you're you're running around with Alphonse, <laughs> and you know you're trying to be Edward, all short and sneaky. Oh, I'm sorry, Chris. You don't understand anime. Well, see, uh, <laughs> uh, Full Metal Alchemist is an anime, and there's like a dude, and he has a brother, and like his brother's like a robot thing. I can't remember the reason why, but you just go with it. Okay, so um, how many Phaetons does he have? Uh, dude, he's ate up with Phaetons. Or Phaetons, I'm sorry. All Adam. the Phaetons, just all the time? <laughs> yeah. Adam, I'm, Adam, I did an Alphonse cosplay once. Oh, sweet. <laughs> of course you fucking did. <laughs> the, the, the suit of armor cost me an arm and a leg. <laughs> I like that. Uh, well, you know, one year I was the drummer from Def Leppard, because all I had was a drumstick, so I pulled my <laughs> arm in my... In my... <laughs> oh, that's... That's fucked up. <laughs> Cosplayers were a mistake. Sorry, I wasn't fufufuing. <laughs> All right, sorry. I digress. So let's cut to the chase here. If your game's going to bog down, where the fuck is it going to bog down at? What What's the go-to on when everything gets crunchy? Planning sessions. Planning sessions? Planning One, oh, God. 100% I have a- planning. <laughs> Yeah, like the um, the only thing that comes close to planning is probably like if you're doing like grid based combat. Oh god, um, yeah, that too. Um, but planning sessions, I'm going to share a story from uh, when I was playing Shadowrun. We literally, I, I, the main one that really comes to mind, which there was a little bit of action in that scenario, but we spent like an almost an entire night just trying to come up with a way that would like we could assassinate a guy with like not making it look like he was assassinated. And that was like three hours. And like, he was in like this snowy, like wilderness, like log cabin. And like, I was coming up with like snake poison. No, wait, that doesn't make any fucking sense. Like I was like scribbling on the walls, trying to figure out how to assassinate this guy. And then we just decided, Oh, let's just go talk to him. And if we want to kill him, we'll just kill him. Okay. (laughs) I can actually top you. Oh, I'm sure you could. I'm run. I ran a base raiders game a few years back, and we had a bunch of very different personalities, from uh, our resident problem player <laughs> to uh, my wife, who kind of hates him. Okay. And they had to figure out what they were going to do to break into a base. Uh-huh. It literally took them two sessions of argument. Oh God. That's just a personality thing. <laughs> it's not just a personality thing. It's the other players like themselves. Like, okay, no, maybe we should do it this way. Like, you know, Sean, you know, Rob. Oh, I know. Rob can't scratch his ass without doing a soliloquy. <laughs> it's true. Oh, God. Now, I have not done a planning session in a game necessarily. Well, we had a minor one in the next episode of... Ocean in the Forest, I think is what it's called. Yeah. But, uh. <laughs> Isn't that your game? Yeah. <laughs> no, it's Y'all, not. Robin also, D. Laws wrote it. We also had a planning oh, okay. session in the last Red Markets game. We had a planning session in yesterday's Unknown Armies game. You plan more than you realize, dude. So I've never really facilitated such a thing there. Do you have any good rules of thumb? How do I prevent this from turning into a, a clusterfuck of what do we do? What do we do? Let's do this. Let's do this. And well, I think you, we've both demonstrated that there's n- absolutely no stopping the planning session. <laughs> there's yeah. no stopping the planning session, but what you can do is stop them from, from repeating themselves. Yeah. That's, that's probably like, that's probably the, the biggest piece of advice for like both planning sessions and just in general control is like, like so, okay, when they decide to go against a certain idea, like if they say plan A doesn't work, so they go on to plan B, and plan B doesn't make any sense. So, so what about plan A then? Just stop them there. They've already decided that plan A did not work. Yeah, and I think this kind of brings up a, a point. As the GM, 
being able to say you've already you've already decided that this isn't going to work. You've already checked this thing out like way too many times. It's not going to give you any more clues. Mm-hmm. Being able to put the the foot down on like a particular thing, being able to say you know you've already gotten all you're going to get out of this. That's like a big part of GMing, and and it as much as it's like that whole thing about like not wanting to say no. Sometimes you've got to say you've already said no to this another and thing, remind them of that. Yeah. Another thing I've been thinking about using that I actually haven't tried yet, but I think could be an interesting mechanic is saying you have two hours to do this, which boils down to you can come up with three plans. Mm-hmm. And once you've come up with those three plans, you're out of time. You have to pick one. Okay. Yeah. Providing, put- providing limits can help both yeah. creativity and also, like, ensures that you're going to be able to do at least something that night with your yeah. game. Can I throw out some suggestions and you tell me if there's any merit to them? Because I've already under- undermined my whole uh, credibility on this. But it's just something <laughs> that just kind of occurred to me. Okay. <laughs> Which, it's if we know a planning session is coming up, definitely put emphasis on certain aspects of the clues and everything that is coming in prior to that to... Hopefully give them some reference point or definitely a reference point as a GM, like, well, what about the guard shift change kind of thing like that? Right. Or how about this? Cause I think this, I think it's a subconscious thing that would be very beneficial. I think if you had a visual representation of the plan, like if you start like charting it out or, you know, with us in internet mm-hmm. land, a Google doc or something like that, I think people would be more willing to commit to something. If it was already, already, dirty south again. If it was already, (laughs) if it was already typed up and, you know, they have that, like, so everyone's seeing the same thing. Everyone isn't peeing themselves as, as you mentioned. I know that would be beneficial for me. Yeah. I mean, um, I've actually come up with an idea that could kind of help this for at least us on the internet side of things, which is sort of gamifying the planning session by, you come up with like, okay, here are the things you need to do. And it's a Google doc or an image or like you've seen my weird fiasco yes. setups. I've seen those. I also yeah. have seen your uh, cork boards that you've done, which you always do. A, those are a great asset. Yeah. Like it, it could be basically, so you have at the top of the cork board or the fiasco setup or the image, whatever, here are the things that you need to do. And maybe you have three bits of information. Every time someone wants to uh, add to this conversation or like they have a plan, they have to jot it down onto the cork board and they have to connect it to something else and they have to figure out how it works. Yeah. I know when I had a, a in-person group, we, I actually went out and got a, a whiteboard and we hung it up in our, our play area and we would use that to both keep track of like the group fun and to help kind of like plan out like who are these different factions that we have to deal with and like what do we want, what do they want, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I definitely think when it comes to like the planning session, especially if you're if you're doing like a big operation like a heist or like a, a strike on like a compound or, or whatever, you as the GM, especially if you don't have one of those players who likes to keep like a lot of notes are like really meticulous notes. You as the GM need to be able to like keep track of like the key parts of like what they're trying to do and like what they know. And like when it gets to that planning session, basically hand them like a sheet or something like that. It's like, all right, you know, this, this, and this, this is what you're trying to do. Here's like what kind of like free floating stuff that you have to work with. Make a plan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely think something like that. And, I mean, there's plenty of, like, applications online and stuff like that where you can do, like, drawings and stuff like that that you can share with everybody and things like that, too. I admit that I am the worst kind of jam for that because I, I work better by freestyling and pulling things out of the, out of my head. Yeah. Like, I'll write things down, but it's usually a it's a synopsis of an idea. Right. I think so long as you have at least the bare the the bare minimum, like an idea of what you want, what you're trying to do, yeah. and you can present that to your players in a in a meaningful fashion, right? Then then that can help at least. Yeah, 
The next thing I do want to talk about on this is to move this topic along. The planning stage is a big one, but what I've seen more of is definitely combat. And from the limited number of uh, Dungeons and Dragons games I've played, it becomes an exercise in dice rowing and mathematics. Yeah, pretty much. Well, that's why you shouldn't play Dungeons and Dragons. True, true. But like, you know, that was my first, that was all of our first experiences. Except for Chris, he was playing, you know, some indie game. Amber Diceless or something. (laughs) Uh, No, it was Dungeons and Discourse, and I helped create it. (laughs) Oh, God. Not even joking. (laughs) I mean, I I totally listened to Modest Mouse before they were popular with Float On. I was never a huge fan of Modest Mouse. I'm still not a huge fan of Modest Mouse. I only have that album. <laughs> I mean, it's, I, I... like all pink, too. It's weird. A lot of my hipster friends really want me to get into Modest Mouse, and I just have never been able to. Let's, now, let let's me tell you about, about Starfucker. <laughs> now, that's a good Nine Inch Nails song. Oh, no, no. It's the band. Oh. Well, the uh, <laughs> the combat deal... Okay. With it to get back on, I I see this conversation going nowhere but down as we start talking about <laughs> modest mouse, and I brought this on myself, and I'm sorry. You often but, do, Adam, yeah. You often do. Everything I do is an act of self uh, flagellation. I, I've noticed here, or it's it's just, just pointing out how much of a fucking horrible hipster I am. <laughs> that too. <laughs> so combat, yeah, combat. Woo. As a GM, I feel like I run out of gas in these situations. You know, I'm trying to give some nice flavor text to the players like, oh, critical hit. So you jump up and, you know, you take your dagger down and blah, 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 and nice description, blood splurt and all that. All right. Next time. Ooh, you slide underneath his swing and you you go up and stab him in his carotid artery. I said it on purpose like that, by the way, Chris. I know a carotid artery, but I was going for humor. It's a humor podcast. I put the tag there. But, <laughs> I, like how, I like how he's like, no, it's a humor podcast, so I did it on purpose. <laughs> Let me just tell you that I did this thing on purpose because that's how, that's how jokes work, so. right? <laughs> but, um, you know, as I keep doing that over and over again, it gets to the point like, yeah, you cut him. You cut him bad. Like, it just, you run out of gas. And player descriptions, in my experience, they kind of help the pacing for me, too. Whereas I'm not necessarily relying on it, or I have something to go across, you know. Your character is going to do a leap slide across the hood of a car and jump up Chow Young fatting off of it with two pistols in each hand. That's great. You roll a failure. So I have something to work with. I know you're trying to jump on a car. So now... That car was waxed just a little too much, and you, woo, thump, off of it. You know, it at least gives you something to run with. It helps if the players have an idea of general gonzoness of the setting. Like, for example, for our Unknown Armies game. If y'all try to do something ridiculous for a ritual, I'll allow it. But if you decide to, I don't know, Dukes of Hazard over a car and you fail, it's going to look bad. What kind of combat suggestions would you have for our listeners and for myself that would make the pacing of combat more controllable and interactive where people aren't, are actually into it? They're not, you know, pulling up their phone and deleting work emails. Um, so I would say that if you're doing like a, you know, D20 grid combat kind of situation, if that's what your group is into, I mean, then just get a new group. <laughs> well that but I mean engage them to give you descriptions of their like how they're fighting and things like that um, along with any descriptions that you give so like when they you know take down like an orc or whatever they, they finish it off you ask them alright so how do you how do you take them out and you know have them give you like a little description or something like that and I think just ensuring that everybody gets like kind of a say and how they're how they're doing combat, any particular flares that like their character might have in combat, especially if they're like you know a bard or, or like a they're arrow flinting it, that kind of helps keep them engaged. And then for any characters or any players that aren't quite as engaged at the table, you kind of giving them descriptions and then you know kind of prompting them for like a return, like a response on that, something along those lines can can help. I would think. 
And then overall, just keeping, just trying to keep everything kind of fast paced. So like if somebody doesn't give you a response in a couple seconds when what they're trying to do, they've lost that turn, go on to the next person because their, their characters pause too long for them to react. Time is always the enemy in these sorts of games. Uh, 13th Age does it really well in that it has an entire mechanic for stunting, which is like, you know, doing crazy shit and using mm-hmm. your skills for that. Uh, I always advocate for that. So if your player can come up with a crazy idea, explain it well enough, give them a bonus to their attack or to whatever they're doing. Mm-hmm. Definitely. But this is mainly for like fantasy systems for my personal white whale uh, unknown armies. They can come up with whatever stupid idea that they think of. Like if, if they're a brawler and they're fighting somebody with a knife top of uh, the corpse of a dead whale, uh, you need to make sure they talk about that. Like they, uh, they walk onto a squishy patch and they use that little bit of forward momentum to uh, go straight into the person's gut before they roll. Okay. It's, it's all about like, Setting the color. The the more color the player puts in, mm-hmm. the more you suggest they put in, the better. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean and and I would say though, know, if somebody gives you like a really good description of what they're doing, oh, give, yeah, them give them a, a bonus. bonus. Yeah. <laughs> like if somebody's going like all out, you know, I you know, I cut the chandelier and I Unless I write it up. Unless it's a game where failure is the main option. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Or failure is more interesting. But, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, like if somebody goes all out in a description, give them a bonus. I really need to actually read up on Feng Shui 2 just because, like, I want to run that at some point and I want to be able to. That game is built around stuff like that, it is built around the cinematic, like, description to give yourself bonuses and, and do cool shit. Yeah, in a Hong Kong action movie yeah. style. Hey, uh, Nice Black Agents does uh, actually does certain you know abilities you mm-hmm. refresh by narrating, you yeah. know stuff like that. So it does. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's, that's more the, that's more burn noticey than anything else, though. Yeah. It's it's like the guy narrating over the scene. But there are you can but you can still do stuff with that, like, and they even give suggestions in Double Tap for like achievements so like if your character does something particularly like you know action movie or thriller movie like kind of thing like you know you're doing the the chase through the the farmer's market and you you know you run to like the fruit stand or whatever you get yourself like a little bonus like refresh for doing that here's something i've noticed as i did a game recently Ocean in the forest. It was, I learned as a wint on this, but I think the gut instinct is to, if people sound like they're bored or they're disinterested and stuff like that, that you want to throw combat out there to, you know, that, that forces them to get engaged. And that's where, you know, a game system really shines, but it's also the part mm. in the book when you get to it on combat. That's going to be the one where everything gets like super crunchy with rules, but. That's on the system too. Like yeah, I, I feel fear itself is not a good combat system. No, it's, it's, the feeling it is trying to get is totally different. I think the pacing is affected by like random encounters, and I would almost be willing to say that one probably does not need to do random encounters like you know you would get in a video game like you're leveling up or grinding. I feel oh, like no. you 100% should not in any sort of investigative game. Yeah, random is not the point. Yeah, the, the fights should pretty much serve a function. Yes. Now, sometimes that function may be, you know, to give a sense of danger. Sometimes the function could be, you know, even something like, you know, my, my characters are superheroes. I need to give them some mooks that they can trounce on and get a, a confidence or a false confidence. So whenever I pull the rug out from under them and have them encounter, you know, the big bad adds more to it. So controversial opinion, but I think no fight should ever be random. There should never be a random encounter. All encounters have meaning in some way. So we've talked about all of this with pacing in general and talking about controlling the table and all. Why don't we tie this in with our the two different experiences you could have is and that being, you know, the online game and the actual meat space game. So as far as control goes, 
which one's the obvious one it's easier to kind of wrangle everybody in on? Uh, meat, meat space games are always easier because you have more social cues. Yeah. And this makes me sound like a weird robot, but the face is easy to deal with. Yeah. Yeah. Like you can just kind of give somebody a look or, you know, something along those lines and it, it can help control a table without having to say, Hey, fucking stop it. I don't know how many times I've wanted to glare at Mika. <laughs> I, I, I know the feeling. <laughs> all, the to- all the times. I think every time. Yeah. Um, just never not glaring. Yeah, and it's it's definitely more difficult online because, like you said, it's both. We don't always have webcams on. Sometimes for some people that really just tanks their computer, mm-hmm. and other times it's because you know you have a headset on and you're getting between like you know anywhere from like two to six other people coming through a single channel into your ears, like. If any if people start talking all at once, you can't really differentiate what you're hearing. Yeah. Uh, at a table, at a physical table, it gets a little bit easier because like that person is like right next to you and you can focus on them and kind of tune other people out. It's it's always much easier to control a personal table because when you're dealing with people in real life, you tend to have at least a relationship with them. Right. And uh like I, I always Personally, I always prefer to deal with people and like I, I always want to have a game in person because it's more interesting and it allows for jokes that you can't make online. Yeah, I agree with you entirely yeah. on that. It's but if it wasn't for online, Chris, we would have never known each other. Oh, Adam! <laughs> <laughs> it's like uh, that one time I introduced you to unknown armies and you ate somebody's heart. I didn't. Somebody else ate it. I just stole it. Oh, right. You stole the hearts. Someone else (laughs) ate the hearts. Look at you, Mr. Morally Upright. (laughs) I prefer ambiguous, but, you know, definitely it's harder to wrangle everybody in. You know, if I've learned anything from playing and playing online games, playing with Ross Payton in the Patreon games, which that's a man who's got this down to a fine art in a system. And, you know, everything in general, it's that... In the online environment, the GM has always got to be on point. You really, oh, yeah. at you almost to the point of making this an ABC choose your own adventure game. Like, yeah. Yeah. Control is much, much more important for the GM. I, I think we, we've mentioned this in a, in a previous episode, but the the sort of prompt, like, okay, what are you doing? Okay, what are you doing? Okay, what are you doing? And then giving, like, basically, like you said, an ABC of, like, here's what you can go do. What are you doing? And just giving everybody that option uh, on online games is almost is almost a necessity. Yeah. Um, especially if you have, like, very limited amounts of time. Yeah. So um, last night I ran an Unknown Armies game, which was, like, our first UA game in three months or two he's, months? He's, he's, he's being passive-aggressive, Noah. No, 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 I'm not being passive-aggressive. <laughs> yeah, no. This time, I'm not being passive-aggressive. Most of the time, Is that being passive-aggressive? Okay, anyways. <laughs> but the point I'm trying to make is that uh, the like the entire idea of the session is that the group had to climb a mountain at night for a spirit journey. And every few minutes, I would, like, talk to a specific character and say, hey, do you want to make a check? And the idea was they can decide whether or not to make the check and pick what it was. But it's not so much that they uh, had to make a check. It's that if they made a check, that would affect things. There's there's nothing quite as great as the, hey, you want to look at this thing? Or, hey, you want to do this? Yeah. Like, oh, no, no, prompt. it's not even that. Like, do you want to do this? It's like, hey, do you want to do a thing? What thing do you want to do? Like that's the that's the point of the game. Like it was you were they were climbing a mountain. There was it was a spiritual journey, so they don't know what they're doing. And by giving them an option every once in a while, it creates that sort of weird uncertainty. Yeah, <laughs> it definitely sounds really cool. Oh, uh, it's yeah. it's one of these things. I wish I'd recorded that game from the get go. We tried to pick up a few sessions at the request of Sam, and it was just it began to in media rest to make it 
like as for me, I thought the narrative was lost just because we lost like the first three sessions and stuff like that. So we've kind of even stopped recording those. <laughs> the narrative was just lost because it's too fucking hard to explain. It's 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 all over the place, but I guess that kind of also like this would lead us to if you're wanting to control the table on top of you know keeping a straight hold on your virtual players and things like that, you more than any time else, you really need to have a clear image of where this goes and how, you know, everyone else's interactions is going to go affect the plot. Yeah, sure you do. Cause that's well, how I work. Well, yeah. Well, I was, I was about to say like, even if you don't have like a clear like endpoint or a clear, progression that you have in mind having an understanding of your group to at least some degree oh god that helps a lot character interaction but that's that's more when you're dealing with kind of groups set in stone Mm -hmm. yeah i mean we should this is for a later date but we should probably start up we should like do a thing about new new groups versus old groups if you know what i mean i think it would definitely be it definitely have merit Okay, so we pretty much talked about the management of so forth. Is there any difference? And definitely, I'm, I'm going to you guys on this because you have more experience in the real world versus the digital world. Is combat any different, really, online as opposed to in real life or in it's, me space? Oh, God, it's much faster in real life, at least in yeah, my experience. I, I mean, I can kind of see that. It really just depends on the game because, like, I know with online, you can basically say you're kind of waiting on people a little bit more because you want to make sure everybody is nice and clear with what they're trying to do. It's not just that. You also have, depending on the depending on the, the game and the group, you also have like a physical image or mm-hmm. you have someone willing to act out where everyone is. Yeah, like being able to to give a good description of the the location that the combat is happening in, um, yeah. even if it's like you know a, a sheet of paper or something like that, can definitely can definitely help. Uh, yeah. I know in my old group, it had to do we we very rarely actually used the the grid that we had. It was often just descriptions, but we would still do like a little piece of paper if the the combat uh, arena, quote unquote, like wasn't a hundred percent clear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, combat always, almost always, has at least a very minor visual aspect to yeah. it. Well, in education, not twice in one session, boys. Right, but <laughs> are you going for a record? I, I may go for a hat trick here in a moment, but let's keep going. Here's the thing I want to stress to you, and this is for learners in general and, you know, keeping people engaged in a subject matter. You got, there's three ways that people learn. You have the visual, you have the kinesthetic, and then you have the audio, like listening aspect to it and stuff like that. And definitely in a real life situation, in a real room, like even somebody gesticulating their arm out in a flourish for an attack and stuff like that is very engaging as opposed to if it's just, if it's just audio going through a screen. And if it's even worse, if you're doing like a dice rolling and stuff like that, it doesn't really feel the same. I guess you could say there's kind of a disconnect for me personally. If I'm not, if I can't see you, there's a disconnect. If I can't hold physical dice, which you see, okay, the girl's away. Fuck a bunch of dice roller. I hate that damn shit so bad. Like I, I want real dice in my hands when I roll, for better I mean, or worse. Having a fistful of like d sixes for shatter run, or just a fistful of d tens for like any one roll engine game, just feels good in my opinion. But. Sometimes you need to make faces, and sometimes you need to act. Yeah. By the way, people at home, let me give you a little secret about randomness on Internet and computers. It's really not random. It's an algorithm that appears to be random, but there's a pattern to it. It's not random. It's pseudo-random. It's pseudo-random. And that's Are you sure? I got two seven sevens I... in that game. <laughs> that was I was bad. so mad. That was so bad. I think we need to find a new dice roller. The oh, that was that was dice string. Yeah, that was dice string. The, the thing of the matter is, like, 
the fact that I know that this isn't truly random and stuff like that, it pisses me off and I don't want to touch it because it, it seems like chance is not so much chance as, you know, whatever. And that's a stupid feeling that I have. But I mean, I, keep in mind, like the dice we use themselves, unless they're sharp edged and all like that fucking easy roller dice cup things dot com. They're not they're not random. Like we're not sponsored, Adam. Shut up. <laughs> even then, like even then, easy roller dice are not random themselves. They are just a closer approximation of randomness. Yeah. <laughs> it's an illusion no matter how you look at it. Don't break it, Chris. <laughs> so I think we've done enough damage for today. So, Chris, please tell us. What was that beautiful music that these people heard when they logged into this podcast? Like it's oh. an actual website? Oh, uh, that was the uh, song Critical Hit by the uh, band Ghost Mice. You can check out their uh, their music and the works of so many other folk punk goodness on uh, Planet X Records. Awesome. And Noah, I only manage really the Facebook page and the website, which is com, or, you know, facebook.com, you know, slash Exchange. But where else can these people find our great content? Well, Adam, they can find our Twitter account at RP Exchange on Twitter. Okay. Awesome. Anyway, like and subscribe to our content at wherever found us. And on iTunes, please leave us some feedback. We'd love to hear what you think of the show. And tell your friends and tell them to listen. And tweet us. Chris and I kind of do double duty on the Twitter account whenever the new stuff goes up. But if anybody tweets at us, I'm sure one of us will respond. Awesome. Well, with that, guys, uh, have a good and one. Once again, we did not think this through. <laughs> no, we didn't. <laughs> nope. Bye. Bye. Don't ever give up. Not all fights are won by skill. Some are won by luck. Don't ever give in. You've got to keep on trying till you lose or you win. Cross your fingers, roll the die. Wait with hope for the big 2-0. Cross your fingers, roll the die. Let it go. Let it roll, let it go, let it roll.